Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 74th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. We're going to be worth your time again this week uh, with questions about the Chiefs' place in the AFC, some strategy with the game at Tennessee this weekend, the atmosphere at Arrowhead, and whether the Chiefs have let it get out of control. And against my better judgment, we're going to take a question about Jackson Mahomes, but only because it lets me make a point about this whole thing that I don't think is getting enough oxygen. Um, Okay, the bonus section is all about Kansas City's World Cup bid, which hit a really important milestone this week with FIFA's visit. So uh, I'm here to tell you what I heard from the officials who will help decide our fate. Um, And the the short version is it wasn't awesome. Um, But okay, uh, the columns this week hit on Kansas City's bid for World Cup games and what we stand to gain regardless of that outcome. And then another one about this weird transition period that the Big 12 finds itself in, which means we haven't done a lot of Chiefs, which means that's how we're going to fire up the pod this week um, right here at the top. Um, the thing that I'm thinking about this week as much as anything is about how the chief's fortunes have changed with Mahomes, and, and I'm using that word intentionally, their fortunes. Um, because like, remember how like freaking unlucky this team used to get, you know, like missed kicks and just egregious missed calls, bad injuries, you know, a coach choosing Elvis Gerbach over the guy who'd win MVP in a few years, like the the fumble at the end of the no punt game, the fumble off the helmet for a touchdown, the touchdown pass thrown and caught by the quarterback. Uh, I mean, just sorry, guys, uh, I get carried away with this stuff, but you, you get the point. Um, and uh, the rundown was probably unnecessary for a lot of you. Uh, but anyway, now, look, I, it's like we've seen this huge shift in stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like I think back to 2019 when it looked like Mahomes' season might be over when his knee went sideways in Denver, um, but he only missed a few games. And a a Chiefs loss that at the time we all thought was bad, um, I'm thinking of the one at Tennessee in the regular season, uh, turned out that that's how they got Terrell Suggs on waivers. Um, And then they still ended up hosting all their AFC playoff games because Ryan Fitzpatrick won in Foxborough. So, I mean, like... I. And they got the bye because of Fitzpatrick won in Foxborough. And then uh, the Ravens lost that year in the first round of Tennessee. So they got to host the AFC championship game. I mean, like, look, I, I understand that the injuries to the offensive line last season were less than lucky, right? Um, but just for a second, imagine how that would have been taken different without the Super Bowl win over the 49ers the year before. So anyway, I, I come to you here today to point out one more little subtle way that the Chiefs are catching breaks. Um, the Titans beat the Bills on Monday Night Football. Um, you probably watched that. And it's it's the win of the year for the Titans, um, at least so far. And, uh, you know, for the Chiefs' purposes, it serves at least two important issues. The first is that it brings the Bills back to the mean just a little bit, you know, back to the pack just a little bit. So that the Chiefs are now just a game behind them, um, you know, effectively two if we're including the tiebreaker, right? But Um, You know, that's instead of two games and effectively three with the tiebreaker. The other purpose it serves for the Chiefs is that it creates this natural kind of obstacle for the Titans, you know, because I think human nature is such that it will be really tough for a team to give another effort like that back to back, you know, especially on a short week. So 
Look, and, and I'm not even we're, we're going to talk a little bit later uh, about some other ways that, that this is lining up pretty well for the Chiefs. Uh, short version is the secondary for the Titans. But anyway, um, I, I'm certainly not here to tell you that the Chiefs are definitely going to beat the, the Titans. Right. Like they still have to stop Derrick Henry, um, you know, some freaking how. But I'm telling you that I like the chances in this scenario more than I would if the Titans had lost to the Bills. You know, or if that game was on a Sunday instead of a Monday, then, you know, if you want to play it forward just a bit, a win over the Titans would put the Chiefs effectively ahead of the Titans in the AFC. They'd both be four and three, but the Chiefs would have the tiebreaker. And then you build on that momentum into the last, you know, break next week against the Giants before that Packers, Raiders, Cowboys stretch uh, right before the bye. So, look, my, I think about this all the time. My friend, my dear friend, Randy Kovitz. Uh, covered the NFL for a million years. And he always talked about how the schedule often dictated seasons and that the schedule had a way of creating and stealing momentum for teams. And how many times he had seen teams lifted and crushed by just sort of those changing wins. And I think that the Chiefs have a real chance right here to be one of those teams that benefits from those subtle factors. Now, they still have to take advantage of the opportunity, right? Which means playing better than they have this season, even playing better than they did in the win over Washington, especially in the first half. So, um, all right. So two things in particular uh, from that game, from the the Washington game that I want to talk about. One's on offense and one's on defense. Um, let's do defense first. I know the headline on that side of the ball was the move a lot of us have been calling for, which is Juan Thornhill starting over Daniel Swanson. And it seemed like such an easy and clean way to make that group better that it, you know, basically forced some of us to wonder about like conspiracy theories, you know. And the thing about this move that baffled me so much is not that it, it's not just that Thornhill is a better player than Sorensen, though that's true. Um, like you realize, like the only times that Sorensen has been a regular starter in the NFL has been as an injury replacement. That's kind of who he is. But more than that, more than that, more than that, um, it's that Thornhill's specific skill set. Like what he's best at, which is that center field ability as a free safety. It is just a beautiful compliment, compliment with an E, to what Tyron Matthew does best. So not only that, but it also allows Sorensen to do what he's best at, which is play that kind of hybrid linebacker role and use that timing and instincts he has in blitzes. And, you know, to cover running backs and tight ends who are, you know, more his speed. But anyway, none of that is what I wanted to hit on with the defense here. I wanted to hit on the fact that the Chiefs were more effective with blitzes than at any point this season. And they got more pressure on uh, Heineke than they have on any other quarterback this season. And look, we'll see if that's a trend that continues. But especially considering that Chris Jones missed another game, I think the ability to create pressure up front was the single most encouraging development from that game on either side of the ball. I really do. And I'm excited to see the Titans are beat up a little bit up front. So I'm excited to see, um, you know, if that holds up uh, this weekend in Nashville. Okay, uh, the second thing that I wanted to point out is about the offense and specifically Patrick Mahomes. Like his career arc has been really wild, you guys. And and from the very beginning, when he basically like skipped a year or three worth of development uh, that even the believers thought that he would need to become um, MVP. You know, he just did that in his first year playing. So he's basically, he's a unicorn, right? Like this insanely talented quarterback who also seems to have like just an insatiable work ethic and leadership skills required at that position. And then to put it over the top, the way he's embraced Kansas City, like, I mean, it's just literally something that people here would have bet their houses would never have happened four years ago, right? Um, and before I get to the main point here about Mahomes, I want to acknowledge that he's having a terrific year, right? Like, I, I think 
it's easy to miss that. His completion percentage has never been this high. He's leading the league in touchdowns. He's second in QBR. I mean, guys like he's on pace for 5,300 yards and or I'm sorry, 50, yeah, 5,300 yards and 51 touchdowns. Um, and that's easy to miss, you know, um, but he's also getting more yards uh, and first downs running the ball than ever before. So he is still a fantastic player and I believe the best in the league. But there's something different about him this year. And it's not just the coverages that the Chiefs are seeing, you know, the ones that are basically like begging them to run the ball or throw short, you know, and take 12 plays to score a touchdown instead of four. Like it's a little bit of speculating here, but does it not seem like he's feeling more pressure than any other time in his career? And look, maybe that's an unrealistic standard because his career so far has been just nothing but an upward trajectory, right? So I don't know, but I can't get it out of my head that he's sort of like the quarterback version of that old baseball line about, you know, a hitter like white knuckling the bat, you know, and and they say he's trying to get two home runs with every swing. Um, Mahomes has more interceptions already, eight. That's more interceptions already than he's had in any full season since his first. And he's had three games with multiple interceptions in his last four. He only had four of, of those kinds of games in his first three seasons and only one in the last two. So I don't think it's even controversial to say the worst two interceptions and, dece- and decisions of his professional life have come in the last four games. Similar plays, sort of falling down, desperate lollipop in the air on third down that just deserve to be picked off, you know? And those are moments that I think I I expected to see those moments and probably would have shrugged him off um, his first year as a player. But after all he's been through and he's accomplished, like it's just really strange to see his decision making take a step back, you know, at least in those moments. It's just it, it is fundamentally out of character. And look, I'm not trying to make a federal case out of this, you know, for a lot of reasons, including like we're still only six games into this thing and he is still ruthlessly effective. But it's just weird that after leading the league in an interception rate, he's more than tripled that rate uh, that he had in 2019 and 2020. And he's done it in a season where you think, if anything, that rate might go down, you know, with better protection and, you know, even more experience with with mostly the same receivers. So. I don't know. I I think this is one of those spots where the most obvious answer is also the most likely. And, you know, that he's just pressing because he knows the defense has been so bad. Like, I don't think it's a total coincidence that six of his interceptions have come with the score tied or the Chiefs losing, you know. But I don't know. That's maybe more of an explanation than an excuse. Because really, like, with the exception, exception of the interception in Baltimore and the one in Philadelphia, like, none of these plays came when the decisions were either, like, you know, try some YOLO throw or have to punt. Like, these are just really strange developments. They, they've either not been on third down or they've been in the red zone where they could kick a field goal. And, and so these are just, like, really strange developments after what he showed himself to be. So, look, again, you've heard me say that as a Chiefs fan, if your biggest concerns involve Patrick Mahomes, then you really don't have any big concerns. Um, and, and I believe that. Like, he has shown himself to be smart and adaptable and i think he'll get out of this um or i guess a better way of saying that is i I think he'll sort of like shave off the mistakes while still finding a way to be himself and and push the ball downfield um i do think we'll look back on this stretch here as the aberration you know sort of like a a five game stretch as a rookie where he threw uh at least a pick uh in five straight games and i do think that the defense's problems have something to do with it um but I think it's time that we see that progress, you know, starting this weekend um, at Tennessee. So, 
Okay, guys, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, here's the spiel. Three ass, um, and you know they're coming. Uh, the first, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and, and I'll send you the link. Um, the second, please rate and review us. Appreciate all the love you've given us already. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. We see you. We see all the five-star ratings that you've already given us. But I'm just saying, if you haven't already done that, uh, if you haven't already given us a rating and review, please do it. Um, really helps us get the word out. Um, all right, third thing uh, I'm going to ask is if you want to participate in next week's show, and I hope you do, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone. Call anytime, 816-234-4365. One more time, here's the number, 816-234-4365. All guys, I appreciate you. Quick break, and then we're back with the questions. Hello, my name is Dick. I'm calling from Fort Bragg, North Carolina. My question is, given how Buffalo Bills beat us pretty handily. Also given how the Tennessee Titans beat the Buffalo Bills pretty readily, how do we rationalize if we are able to go into Tennessee and manhandle Tennessee Titans, where does that leave us? How how would you rationalize these three teams? I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Okay, so, yeah, I'm not trying to be flip here. But I think the way that we rationalize it is that it's the NFL, you know, and this is the kind of thing that happens. Um, it's a huge part of why a lot of us love the love the sport, you know. Um, and I think this kind of thing happens a lot. Um, you know, a year ago, the Chiefs lost at home to the Raiders and the Raiders lost by 37 points to the Falcons, who finished four and 12. So, like, what what did that mean? Right. Like. I think the answer is like not very much, but um, you know the NFL is largely about matchups, and I know you can say that about most sports, and uh, and it's often true. But I would argue that because of the relative parity in talent and the unpredictability of football in general, and you know a heavy influence on specific strategy and and all these things, I would argue that no major American sports league's results are more dependent on matchups than the NFL. And this is a good time to talk about this, actually. Uh, I, I referenced this in the lead. Um, but the, the Bills had every look of a team that was just, like, stronger than the Chiefs at the line of scrimmage and figured out a way to keep the Chiefs in front of them on defense, you know, to sort of force them to go down the field in a lot of plays rather than, you know, over the top with Tyreek. And it was just such a 180 from the last two games that we saw last year where it really didn't feel like at any point the Bills were a serious threat to the Chiefs in either of those games last year. But anyway, so here come the Titans, right? And, and I actually think that the Chiefs are going to win this weekend, even though, you know, there may not be a worse matchup for the Chiefs than Derrick Henry. But um, we're going to talk about him a little bit more in the next question. So for, for now, I want to emphasize the point that I made in the lead about the Chiefs catching the Titans at what might be a vulnerable time here after, you know, we mentioned the emotions of beating the Bills on Monday night and a short week and all that. But here's what I would add. And I think this is a big one. Um, I would add that, the Chiefs will be seeing the Titans at a moment when their secondary has just been eaten to bits. Um, you know, Fulton went on the IR last last week. Now, um, you know, Caleb Farley just tore his ACL. I mean, there's just there there's some good players over there, 
um, with the Titans. But if you're trying to make it work without two of your best cornerbacks, and look, Kevin Byard is a really nice player, um, but the Chiefs can really exploit Jack Rabbit Jenkins and Chris Jackson and Elijah Mold. I mean, like this is at the point where the Titans could do all the right things as far as scheme and everything else and just still get smoked just because they don't have the personnel to keep up, you know? So I guess where I'm finishing on this is that I think I've been pretty consistent here. Like this is the the second game in this three game stretch that is a relative break from that brutal first five games. And then this Packers Raiders Cowboys stretch going into the bye. And this is largely going to define the chief season, good or bad. And look, I'm not here to call this a must win game. Um, I think that would be silly and hyperbolic. But I do think that the Chiefs need to get through this current stretch with both success and something that they feel like they can use against the real top competition they're going to see, you know, both next month, um, you know, the with, with the Packers, Raiders, Cowboys stretch. They'll see better competition then and then obviously again in the playoffs. Um, this is the time to get right. You know what I mean? Um, OK, uh, one more Chiefs Titans uh, strategy question. Here we go. Hey, Sam, Dave from Albany, New York. Question for the podcast. You're watching the highlights, listening to what Leslie Frazier said, the Bills' defensive coordinator. I have an interesting scenario. No one, everyone tries to throw all their resources at stopping Derrick Henry. What if you threw all your resources at stopping everybody else? I mean, what would happen then? What are your thoughts on that? Is that a good, sound defensive strategy? It's not let Julio Jones or Brown or the tight ends beat you on play action and just, okay, he's going to get some yards. Let's, let's let him, let's contain everybody else. Your thoughts, please. Enjoy the podcast and, uh, just really love listening to it every week. It's, uh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, I, look, I, I just don't think that's the play against a generational talent like Derrick Henry. Um, and I absolutely believe that's what Derrick Henry is. Like, I think this is one of those guys that we're going to remember in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And whoever's the great running back, you know, in, in the year 2046, I think that we might be comparing him to Derrick Henry. I just, I, I think he's just so different, you know. 250 pounds, but also as fast as basically anyone and shifty too. And, you know, a stiff arm that is both effective and a little terrifying because nobody wants to be, you know, the next body bag highlight there. You know what I mean? So look, I might, I might be splitting hairs here, but like, I, I think like letting Henry get his and not worrying about it and just trying to stop everybody else. Um, I, I just, I think that's the wrong strategy. Um, but I do think that it's okay to go in with a philosophy that, look, you're not going to stop him, but what you want is to just cut down on the big plays. You know, like that 76 yard run against the Bills, where he basically just like popped it in a blink. Um, the Titans had it blocked really well, but the Bills also had a safety take the wrong angle. I mean, th- those are, those are the plays that you can't have. And, you know, here I'm starting to think a little bit about 2019 when the Chiefs lost in Nashville. And there are a lot of reasons for that loss. Like some were fluky, <laughs> some were real. Um, but Derrick Henry had, you, you might remember this, he had that 68-yard touchdown run. 
And, you know, he basically just made one cut and was gone. Make one guy miss and then just straight up the middle, um, just on a B line. And that run put the Titans up and, you know, and, and they won by three. So, and then in the playoff rematch, um, you know, the longest run he had was 13 yards and they did a pretty good job against him. Right. So I think that that's the stuff that I think matters. Um, you know, Henry's going to get yards and he's going to punish you. But if you can keep him from, you know, breaking the big ones, then you have a better chance. Like it's just, it's sort of the same approach that teams are taking against the Chiefs in the passing game. Right. Like, cause I think like with the Titans, Ryan Tannehill, say what you want about him, but he's really good with play action. And he's got some big targets that he can get downfield. So, you know, you can't sell out and just worry entirely about Henry. Um, you know, I think the better path is just to keep, <laughs> just keep Henry from going like Tecmo Bowl on you. You know, like he, he's going to be great. Just don't let him be legendary. You know, like I, I feel like that's the, that's the approach here. Um, okay. One more Chiefs question uh, here from Jeff. Hey, Sam. It's Jeff from out in Las Vegas, Nevada. Just moved out here a year ago from KC. Had to go, uh, had to move to some place where I could be justified in having a swimming pool in my backyard and being able to use it regularly. Got a couple of questions for you, Sam. And the first one has to deal with the, uh, the latest incidents at Arrowhead Stadium, uh, involving, I'm doing air quotes here, super fans. Um, you know, it seems to me that the Chiefs have been kind of tardy on reacting to this type of behavior. You know, I used to go to every single Chiefs game I could get a ticket to, and in the last four years, I can tell you before moving to Vegas, I maybe went to three. And this was the primary reason, because at Arrowhead, your head's always on a swivel looking for what's coming. That doesn't happen at a Royals game, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts on what the Chiefs' action should be moving forward to address that fan behavior. Yeah, so um, I've been getting a lot of questions like this lately, and um, I do think it's just kind of sad, you know, <laughs> with the so-called super fans and the weird drama that created. Um, that whole thing just, like, made me sad, you know, like, including the media, I'll say that, like, including the medias and, and social media's role, and it just, just made me sad. Um, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but, um, you know, I also got like four or five questions here this week about Jackson Mahomes and, uh, you know, and the dancing on Sean Taylor's number on the field before the Washington game. And, um, you know, maybe I should jump on board and, you know, grab some clout, you know, and, uh, you know, make the easy takes on that. But like, really, you guys, like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Um, Jackson Mahomes is 21 years old. And he is not ready for the following that he seemed to work hard to create. And it's all to me just like a really, I'm going to use this word again, like it's just a really sad example of like, you know, empty social media fame and this, you know, two-way game where everyone seems to ignore how silly the whole thing is and they create meaning where there shouldn't be. And before you know it, people are legitimately heated. And I'm not here to tell you how to think or whatever, but I'm just... I'm not going to understand why anyone cares about that stuff, you know? Um, but anyway, back, back to the original point. And I mean, like, I don't know if the numbers would back me up on this, you know, maybe we're just seeing it more often on social media, but it does seem to me that there have been more fights in stands lately. And if we're talking about Arrowhead specifically, it seems like more of those fights are happening in the lower levels, which has always sort of been the less drama spot 
of the stands, you know? Um, and again, I don't know if that's literally true. Uh, you know, if the numbers of incidents have gone up, but that's the way it feels. And I don't know how you can fault anybody for saying that it makes them want to stay away. You know, people are busy. People have stresses. You know, they got enough going on in their lives without, you know, actively looking for more stuff if they're worried about that. So, um, you know, I guess the, the one thing about the question, though, that, that I'm going to push back on is, you know, sort of the insinuation that this is a chief's problem. Um, you know, this weird job I have is taking me to games in every NFL city. And I'm just telling you, I've seen people throwing up drunk in front of kids in Seattle. And I've seen a guy like literally tased in the bright afternoon before a game in Chicago. And I've seen a woman shoved down to the ground in Pittsburgh. I mean, like I, guys, I, I've seen stuff that I would not be psyched for my kids to see in Minneapolis and Philly and New Jersey and Charlotte and everywhere. It's, it's not a chiefs thing. Um, I do think it's a bit of an NFL thing though. Because I agree with the question. Like you don't see nearly, you don't see this stuff in baseball, you know, um, maybe more to the point. I don't think you see it like this in college football. So, you know, but I also, I, I believe that sports reflect society as well. I really do believe that. So, um, you know, I guess I'm going to tell you that I don't just think it's a NFL problem either. So look, I'm not smart enough to know what the solution is, you know, or even whether there is a solution, but um, I would also say that if you really want to go to a game, you can figure out a way to avoid or sort of escape the ugliness that you might see, you know, that's how I feel anyway. That's how I see it. So, um, all right guys, uh, one more question. And, uh, before we hit the break, okay. Hey Sam, this is Teddy calling from Kansas city, not a Kansas city question, but since we played the Washington football team, wanted to hear your thoughts on Maybe perhaps exploiting Sean Taylor to cover up the actions of the front office. Maybe. Uh, that franchise seems to be, you know, a joke. I don't know if you viewed it in that light, but it kind of seemed like that was a last second retirement situation. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. And if you don't want to touch it with the 10 foot pole, I understand too. Thanks for all you do. Love your stuff. Teddy, uh, I hear you. But as a, as a reporter who's covered some incompetence, you know, and, and even a little deviousness in his day, uh, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't buy the theory that Washington's front office just made this whole thing up to deflect from some bad publicity for a lot of reasons. Like, one, they've had a lot of bad publicity over the years, a lot and they haven't pulled something like this, you know? And what I'd tell you too is like, I honest, honestly believe that, you know, the way they did it, like, and their heart was in the right place. So I'll be generous, generous and just describe what they did on Sunday before the game. It was, it was second rate, <laughs> you know? And um, I'm just telling you, I really do believe that they had been working on that for months <laughs> and that that was the best that they could come up with. And I would tell you that all things considered, I would argue that if I'm right about that, then the truth is actually more damning on that franchise than if they just rushed the whole thing together. I, I think that's as good as they could do, as good as they could think to do. Um, I just, place is a mess, you guys. Uh, place is an absolute mess. Um, the Chiefs have been there, right? Uh, they've been a mess, but no more. Patrick Mahomes fixes a lot of problems, right? Um, okay, uh, one more quick break, and then we're back with the bonus section. 
right, guys, let's finish strong. And I wanted to use this space here to talk about Kansas City's bid to host games in the 2026 World Cup. I know that can seem a long way away. Um, and in most normal ways it is, uh, because who among us knows what they'll be doing in their lives in, in 2026, right? But um, FIFA officials have been in town this week, uh, being wined and dined and presented with the best Kansas City has to offer, including tours of facilities that would be involved in the bid. Most obviously that includes Arrowhead Stadium where the games would be played, but also interestingly includes Kauffman Stadium. Maybe we'll talk more about that at some other time, but the only part of the bid process that was really public, um, or I guess I should say the only part that had media involved, was uh, just being straight up a bit of a dog and pony show um, at the Kansas City Live uh, at the Power and Light District on Thursday. Um, Quentin Lucas, the mayor, emceed it um, with uh, some Kansas City heavy hitters on hand and on stage for solidarity. That included Royals chairman John Sherman, uh, Jackson County executive and Royals Hall of Famer Frank White. KC NWSL owners Angie and Chris Long, um, Sporting Kansas City principal owner Cliff Illig, and Chiefs chairman Clark Hunt co-chair Kansas City's big committee, and each of them spoke briefly. Uh, then it was briefly opened up for questions, uh, which were all directed to FIFA officials Victor. I'm going to try it. I'm just going to try it, guys. FIFA officials Victor Montagla- <laughs> Montagliani. Montagliani. I'm just going to, I'm not even going to go back and edit that because I need to wear the fact that I stink at pronouncing things. Um, Montagliani and Colin Smith. Um, so anyway, I thought this bit here from Victor, and this is actually before he took questions, but I thought this uh, bit here from Victor was interesting. From a FIFA standpoint, obviously we want to uh, uh, always do our due diligence. And uh, I was already asked a question by uh, the governor of Missouri um, in terms of, uh, you know, what's it going to take? And my answer to him was, you know, you just got to be what you are. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, you can't be what you're not. Um, we've already heard what Kansas City um, and the state of Missouri and the state of Kansas are, are, are joining in this effort, what they are in terms of the grassroots football, the professional football that's behind me, Kansas City Live, which is always packed with fans. Uh, so you need to just be what you are. And I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, like the game of football, I don't want to simplify things, but you have to be, uh, when you when you walk onto the pitch, uh, you are, the team that you are is the team that you have to play. You can't really worry about your opponent at the end of the day. You got to worry about yourself. So you guys, like I just, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. Um, I, I've been reading coverage from some of FIFA's other visits and, you know, the comments they make start to run together. So um, I don't know how much we should take from any of this, but that that be what you are thing, not overly encouraging. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't know how Victor intended that to come off. Uh, but for me, it was sort of like, hey, we know the limitations we're working with here. So just accept those and put your best foot forward. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, but you know, that's how I took it. Um, anyway, Colin Smith was asked about what questions the committee had, uh, had received sufficient answers to. And he basically talked about like confirming, um, not that they had questions, but confirming how Arrowhead would be fitted to FIFA requirements. And that's 
something like a sticking point for the Chiefs from what I've heard, you know, because they're going to have to take some seats out and they want to make sure that they don't lose any money off of it. But um, anyway, Blair asked about market size, you know, because Kansas City is one of the smallest markets in the bidding. And the answer came back fairly positive, you know, talking about, you know, the broader region and the market size isn't a determining factor. But um, I wanted here to play Victor's answer to a question from Nate Bucati about whether geography you know, basically being in the middle of the country, um, you know, no other bid cities between Denver and Nashville. Um, Nate just asked about whether that would play a factor. One of the, the key things that we look at when we start developing match schedules for the World Cup, and obviously the match schedule is a core uh, document, and whilst we haven't uh, obviously chosen the cities, uh, we still look at the geographic spread. Now, when we look at US, Canada, and Mexico, the geographic spread is obviously large. Uh, one of the key areas we look at is the team travel, um, you know, and, and the quality of team travel, so that one team is not traveling huge distances and other teams are playing locally. So that's where a spread across the country is always uh, beneficial, um, because it allows us to have clusters uh, in, in and around different areas within the country uh, to ensure that the fan base is, is there, uh, that we don't overload certain areas, uh, but also specifically that the teams uh, have an equal and, and accessible travel facilities. So, I don't know. And look, maybe this is my Kansas City insecurity coming in, um, but... I've had this sort of like nagging suspicion that this is all going to end with FIFA giving us a few base camps, but no games. That's just, that's where I've been thinking this whole time. And, you know, basically that way, you know, FIFA is saying, you know, be happy with what you get, you know, you're involved, whatever. Um, but you're just not quite enough to have games. And if that's the way it goes, I don't know that obviously, um, I'm speculating, but if that's the way it goes, I think we'll hear like, all these like awkward rationalizations about how, you know, hey, that's not so bad and, you know, actually better than games in some ways, sort of like <laughs> the Sprint Center for a long time tried to sell Kansas City on the idea that it's actually better to not have an anchor tenant um, because you can have <laughs> concerts whenever you want as if every other arena in the country doesn't try to make that balance. But anyway, uh, if that's how it goes, it's going to make me sad, you know, and, you know, this stuff here about, monitoring travel distances and keeping teams, you know, as evenly possible with travel, um, just really makes that suspicion a little stronger. So I just, I don't know, um, I have this natural sort of distrust with FIFA. Um, and it's just not hard to imagine a world where they see Kansas city as sort of this ma massive staging area for teams to train here, um, great facilities, you know, train here and then get on a plane and fly to games in other markets. Um, and they could justify it too, you know, with, with games spread out on both coasts and, you know, Dallas and Atlanta and all these bigger markets that have better public transportation and more hotel rooms. I mean, I just, look, I think Kansas City would be a great host city. I really do. And I think that for a lot of reasons, um, you know, including that there are so many people in smaller towns within driving distance of here um, who could be exposed to the scale and excitement and skill of World Cup soccer in a new and just once in a lifetime way, you know? And I hope I'm wrong about, you know, hearing base camps in the second clip we played. And I hope I'm wrong about hearing just a tinge of condescension in the first clip. 
Uh, I hope I'm very wrong about all of that. And I hope that we host some pool play games and, and we all have a great time. But I just, <laughs> I got to be honest with you guys. And, and that's where I'm at on all this. So, okay. Um, that's the show. Uh, thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to. Thanks to Monty Davis for putting us all together. And as always, the biggest thanks to you for joining and letting us be a small part of your life. Um, okay. Have a great weekend. Be kind. <laughs>